kind of like additional vacation days for us, right? We get days to visit with family and friends, excuses to perhaps spend more money, um, days to be lazy or entertained, you know, opportunities to just kind of relax. But not just nationally, we also enjoy the new calendar year worldwide. I was just reading about some of the different things that people do to celebrate New Year's, of course, we have the firework celebrations. It's always something interesting to see what the different nations are doing. Now they've kind of incorporated this whole drone presentation where they have, you know, the lights, um, not through the uh, fireworks, but by means of drones. I thought that was interesting. But, but again, why do we make such a big deal about New Year's? Well, it seems like the celebration of a new year is a celebration of both a conclusion and a commencement. Right? It's a conclusion of things past, perhaps things that we want to forget, hardships, pain, loss, disappointment. It's the commencement of something new, a new slate of time, new opportunities, uh, new endeavors, perhaps. Many mark the start of a new year with resolutions, resolving to do something different, something new, something better than they did the year before. The reality is that life may not actually change on January 1st of a new year, and we may not actually stick with our New Year's resolutions, unfortunately, but we generally have a hope that life will change. We have a hope that we will change. We have a hope that we will experience something new with the new year. Now, you've heard that it was said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right, So many desire a blessing, so many desire something new, and yet they continue to do the exact same things year after year after year. Let me ask you, do you desire a new year's blessing? If you do, what are you going to do differently this year that you didn't do last year? If you haven't turned to Psalm 1, go ahead and turn there. That's where we're going to be this morning. And what I hope to show you this morning is that the way to true blessing in this new year comes through the word of God. This is a promise from God. And yes, we are back to the importance of the word of God. This is not a new message. I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning. At least I hope it won't be new information for you. In fact, as Pastor Chris has said many different times in many different ways, our goal is not to bring something new before you when we preach the word of God. It's not to give you something novel. Um, It's not to give you something exciting. Our desire is simply to communicate the truths of God's word and let him do the rest because the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm here before you again this morning just to encourage you with the simple truth that blessing comes through the word of God. You need the word of God. I need the word of God. Together as the people of God, we need the word of God. The word of God is the path to blessing in any year. And if we do nothing else differently this year, the one thing we must do is commit to pursuing the word of God afresh for his glory and our good. Well, let me go ahead and read Psalm 1 for you this morning. And then we'll get into the passage shortly thereafter. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for another day. Thank you for another year. Thank you for another opportunity we have to gather together. As we have prayed many times before, we don't take for granted that we can gather freely and openly in our nation. As we just prayed not too long ago, many of our brothers and sisters in the world fear threats. They fear persecution. Um, particularly in our day and age, they, ha- they have the fear of wars and Um, Other kinds of uh, different things that are going on in the world where they're stationed, where they're living, our brothers and sisters who are trying to be faithful to your word, trying to be faithful in building your church, and yet they have this fear hanging over their head for their lives, literally for their lives. God, we thank you that in our nation and in our day, we can gather together freely and openly. We can gather together and open up your word Freely and openly. We can sing songs of praise to you freely and openly. We can pray in Jesus' name freely and openly. We can preach and teach from your word freely and openly. That is not something we should ever take for granted. Thank you for your word that it is true, that you do sanctify us by your truth. As we come before you this morning, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're back in the Psalms again this morning. The Psalms are a treasure trove of theology, balanced with an almost embarrassingly realistic picture of life from a human perspective. We read in the Psalms things like this. God is a righteous judge. That's in Psalm 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, Psalm 45. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble, Psalm 46. God is the king of all the earth, Psalm 47, and we can go on. But we also see in the Psalms that they never pull punches when it comes to asking questions like, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's Psalm 13. Or stating the reality of depression and discouragement in the life of a believer with statements like, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. That's in Psalm 6. And on the other side of that discouragement, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you, Psalm 39. And why are you downcast on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 42:11. Well, our psalm for this morning, Psalm 1 along with Psalm 2, are positioned as an introduction to the whole Psalter, to the whole book of Psalms. Psalm 1 paints the picture of this blessed man, a man whom we are to emulate, a man whose blessing comes from the Lord alone, and if taken together with Psalm 2, is ultimately the man whom God chooses to lead his people and to lead the nations. Thus the blessing comes by taking refuge in him, And as we are exhorted at the end of Psalm 2, we must take refuge in him. We'll come back to that thought later. Well, the significance of Psalm 1 for the Psalter and for the people of God cannot be overstated. Psalm 1 is a promise. 
It is a promise of blessing, a promise of nearness to God, a promise of the grace of God, a promise ultimately of his shalom, his peace for those who trust him. Again, for those who take refuge in him by faith. Before we get into the text itself, I want to think of a few terms that we'll see going forward as we look at this psalm and as we study through the psalms periodically this year. The first is this concept of blessedness. We see that in verse 1 where he says, blessed is the man, and he goes forward from there. That word is often translated happy in order to show the response of one who is being described. Whatever has happened, this person has been made happy as a result of it. There's another common axiom among believers. It goes something like this. Happiness comes from happenings and joy comes from Jesus. Now, there's nothing biblically wrong with being happy, contrary to that statement. There's nothing biblically wrong with being happy about some things that happen. It is significant, however, that the happiness of the individual described here is more than just about happenings. We'll talk a little bit more about that. To be blessed in this sense is the ideal. To be happy in this sense, in the way this psalm is using it, is actually the ideal for the believer. It is certainly a positive thing in the text. You're made to want this kind of blessedness, this kind of happiness, over and above any other kind of happiness. Another term that's important for us to consider is peace. Now, we're not going to find the term peace in our text, but it is important for us to understand what's happening in the text As we go forward here, for a moment, turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. I want you to see something there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's in the first five books of the Bible. The book of Numbers, and we're looking at chapter 6. As you're turning there, we find here Moses and Aaron in the process of erecting the tabernacle for the people to have a place to meet with God during their wilderness wanderings. And in our section we're going to look at briefly here, God is providing Aaron, uh, whose house was chosen to serve as high priest, with a word of blessing to give to the people on behalf of God. The word for blessing here is different than what we see in Psalm 1. This word describes the act of blessing, not the response of being blessed. The idea kind of has something to do with bowing the knee. Um, In that sense, it's really when you bow your knee before someone, you're giving honor to them. You're ascribing honor to them. And so obviously God is not bowing the knee to us, but he is giving an honor to us. He is blessing us in that sense. That's how it's being used when it's used of God, when God blesses someone. That's kind of the idea that we're getting at here. And this passage describes what we often refer to as a benediction. I think Pastor Chris mentioned that a number of weeks ago. The biblical context, concept of benediction is more of a prayer. Uh, God gives this prayer, this benediction to Aaron so that he can speak it on behalf of the people. Uh, He's to say this before the people. Look at verse 22 in chapter 6 of Numbers. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall you, 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but what we see in this passage is really a progression throughout this prayer that he's offering. There's a general call for blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you as it moves through the poetic section. It gets more specific. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The blessing of the Lord as we go further has to do with his face turning towards his people. His face shining upon them, meaning it is directed towards them. He's looking favorably upon them. That's why he mentions the idea of grace. Yes, may God bless us in general, but more particularly, there would be no blessing apart from his face shining on us, his gaze upon us, his gaze upon us, not with disdain or anger, but in order to be gracious. When we get to that third component, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thus, the blessing of God involves his nearness, his attentiveness, his gracious gaze being made to shine upon us, his countenance being lifted up upon us. These are euphemisms that his face would shine upon us. We we imagine God just smiling at us. But that his countenance would be lifted up upon us. We imagine God not only smiling, but now delighting in his people to the degree that he acts graciously on their behalf and this gracious acting of God this lifting up of his countenance upon them results in their peace and he says this is the blessing that you're to give to the people this is God's blessing upon his people his blessing upon his people his nearness to them ultimately results in their peace that's where he's going with that Blessedness, being blessed by God, is a matter of having his peace. The one who is blessed has peace, thus also has a happy heart. We've heard that word peace many times before. It's the Hebrew word shalom, and it's defined as completeness, soundness, wholeness, welfare, safety, security. These are all different terms that are used to describe it. You can rest your thoughts on this idea of wholeness. There is no lack, and because there is no lack, there is contentment. There's no sense of danger, and because there's no sense of danger, there's a feeling of safety and security. You are whole, you are at ease, and therefore you are happy. The blessing of God is ultimately his peace. It is a sense of wholeness in him, of security in him, of happiness in him. And those who are thus blessed in him will always prosper. Now I want you to hold on to those thoughts as we get into Psalm 1 and as we go through and look at this description I think that really helps to give us a good backdrop for what we see happening in Psalm 1. As we look at Psalm 1, I'll give you an outline to hang your hat on if you're taking notes. We have in verses 1 and 2 the root of blessing. The psalm is all about God's blessing for his people. We have the root of blessing in verses 1 and 2, and then we have the fruit of blessing in verses 3 through 6. The root of blessing and then the fruit of blessing. Well, let's look at those first two verses, the root of blessing. Again, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The root of blessing is found in the word of God. We see the negative of this first. It's not found in this. It's found in the other thing. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The idea of the one who walks is not foreign to us. We've talked about that as we've gone through the book of Ephesians. 
The idea of walk has to do with the character of one's life. In Psalm 1, we're in Hebrew poetry, so we actually have three phrases that are intended to mean almost the same thing. We see this idea, almost a progression of walking, standing, and sitting. But all three of these things describe the character of one's life. And again, there is a sense in which we see a progression of walking, standing, sitting. This person is getting comfortable. Not only are they walking in the way, but they just kind of, you know, they're walking. At some point, they just kind of stop. They're relaxed. They're at ease. Then eventually they sit down in this way that's being discussed here. Well, what is the way? It's the counsel, um, the counsel of the wicked. Again, we see three different terms here. Uh, They walk, they stand, they sit in the counsel, in the way, in the seat of the ungodly, of the wicked. And we'll get to that last part soon. But this counsel describes their way of thinking um, their way of living, their, their desires, their pursuits. He says it is their counsel, it is their way of living, it is their seat, it is where they dwell, it is where they abide. And then we get to the last part again, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. And again, we see a bit of a progression here. The wicked here is just kind of a general term for those who do evil, those who do wickedness. We narrow in a little bit more. They're called sinners. Sinners are those who transgress the law of God. We're specific here to God's law, to God's word. It's not just evil in general, but it's God's word. It's God's law. It's God's testimonies that they are rejecting. And not only do they reject the word of God, not only do they break it, but they also scoff. So they're the wicked. They're sinners. They're scoffers. They reject God's word. They thumb their nose at God's word. And they usually end up making fun of those who follow after God's word. They scoff at his law. Blessed is the man who does not follow after their way, their pursuits. Blessed is the one who is not comfortable, who has not made himself at home in their desires, their atheistic way of thinking and living. Now let me ask, have you? As you look back over the last year, have you made yourself comfortable in the counsel, in the way, in the seat of the wicked? Have you been pursuing life their way? Have you been living like the devil and his angels in this last year? Continuing the same way in this year, but expecting different results. A slightly different question. Perhaps you're not necessarily living in the way that they lived Perhaps if we were to look at your life, we couldn't see you walking in their counsel, but maybe your thinking is that way. Maybe the way you think about life is the same way they think about life. Perhaps your expectation of blessing in the new year, your concept of blessing is tainted by the world also. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that we're far too easily pleased. Far too often we allow our happiness to rise and fall based on those happenings, those favorable events. When we have money flowing in the account, when we have the best kind of job, when we're respected and liked by others, when we have the best kind of friendships, when we perhaps found the one, when we are healthy and not sick, when we have all of our loved ones surrounding us, then we're happy. When any of those things are not true, we're not happy. 
That's the way the world approaches life. That's the way the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers approach life. Scripture is clear here. Happiness, true happiness, will not result in living life this way. You will never be satisfied. You will never be happy with anything if you are not satisfied and happy first in the Lord. That leads us to the positive. That was the negative. Again, what is the root of blessing? It's not in the counsel of the wicked, but rather it's found in the counsel of the Lord, the word of God. Again, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Poetry is a beautiful mix of direct and indirect, of contrasts and comparisons. Here we see a word introduced into our thought processes, the word for delight. Before, we were just talking about a way of living, right? We were just talking about how we act, perhaps even a way of thinking. He said, don't live like them, don't think like them. He didn't say don't delight in their way, but that's kind of the point, right? That's kind of what he's driving at there. If you turn to the counsel of the wicked and you see, you see something good in it and you start to pursue it, then you are delighting in it. He says, don't delight in their way, but rather delight in the law of the Lord. Delight in his way. You choose one counsel or another because it seems good to you. You listen to the words of a friend because it seems good, it seems right. You reject the words of another because the words are disagreeable. The way doesn't seem right. Your choice shows what you delight in, in other words. To delight in something isn't necessarily mean to, meant to envision here a strong emotional response. Sometimes we think about it that way, right? So I'm not sitting there thinking about my, my wicked, ungodly neighbor. Man, they have a really good lease on life. I really wish I could be like them. We're not, we're not talking about that. And the flip side of that is when we look at the law of the Lord, we're not always going to read God's word and think, man, this is really good. It's really exciting. I love it. Woohoo! Let's go. Follow God's word. It's not always going to feel that way. But the delight here is talking about our evaluation of it. What do you think about God's word? Do you see value? Do you see beauty in it? Do you see it as a treasure, something that you ought to pursue, that you ought to take up, that you must take up? I mean, we feed ourselves food regularly. Nobody has to tell us, go and eat food. Sometimes we do, right? Sometimes you got to tell kids what they need to eat. You got to... You know, kind of guide and direct them the right way. Sometimes your doctors have to tell you that you're eating too much of this or too much of that. But generally, we don't have to be told to eat. We don't have to be told to drink. We know that we need it for our lives. Sometimes we really enjoy it, right? How do you see the word of God? Do you see the word of God as something that you have to live by, that you, can, you have to live by, and that you can't live without? That's what it means to delight in it. It means to see it as beautiful, as necessary, as a treasure. Delight in the law of the Lord. That's the point. And he says here, he calls it the law of the Lord. We've talked a number of times before about the many different words that are used to refer to the word of God. The law of the Lord here is the idea of the Torah, the instruction of God. There are many different ways that he could have referred to it. The point is that the word of God is the focus. The blessed one takes delight in the word of God. That's really the difference between the godly and the ungodly. 
The ungodly show their unbelief in the word of God. They're disdained by it, by scoffing at it. We show our belief in the word of God by our delight in it, our pursuit in it, our faith in his word. The psalm writer summarizes it this way. On his law, the blessed man meditates day and night. He shows his appreciation for it, his understanding of its value by meditating on it day and night. And what does it mean to meditate on the law of God day and night? I've shared this often before. The idea of meditating on the word of God is not like Eastern mysticism, the idea of meditation where you empty your head of everything, but rather it's the idea of filling your head with God's truth. It's, it's, it's similar to what we talk about when we uh, refer to a cow chewing cud. It's a disgusting example. I've shared it with you before, I think. But, you know, cows eat grass, and in order to properly process it, they regurgitate it into their mouths, and they chew it up again. They swallow it down, and they do that again in order to properly process it. It's a very graphic image, but it helps us to understand, Right? In order to delight in the word of God, in order to meditate on God's word, when we ingest it, what do we have to do? We have to bring it back up. We have to call it to remembrance. We have to chew on it a little bit more. If you want to get the most of it, in other words, coming and sitting and listening to a sermon is not enough. If you want to get the most out of God's word, sitting and reading through it one time is not enough. You have to go back over it again and again and again. That's one of the reasons why we provide so many opportunities for you to get into the word of God. That's one of the reasons why Pastor Chris has been encouraging and imploring everyone. We have Sunday school classes every Sunday morning if you get here an hour earlier. We have Bible study on Wednesday evenings that you can come to and you can partake Maybe you struggle with getting into the word of God. We have people who are able to help you to get into the word of God. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Just start reading. Start reading in the Psalms. Maybe you just look at the back of your bulletin and you see the passage that we're going to study next week and you read that. I can tell you now, we're going to be in Psalm 103 next week. You guys can read ahead. You need something to read this week? Read Psalm 103. Next week, that's what we're going to be looking at. But get into God's word. Ask someone to hold you accountable if you need to. Call somebody on the phone and talk to them about what you're reading. Open up an app on your smartphone. Most people have smartphones nowadays. Or a computer. Or the Bible on CD. Whatever you need to do. Listen to it. Read it. Write it down. Take out the old school note cards, write verses on those note cards, pull them out during the day and read it over and over again to meditate on his truth. I like this quote here. And this is from my good friend, uh, Matthew Henry. I like to go to to his um, his commentaries because he puts he kind of summarizes things well. He says, to meditate in God's word is to discourse with ourselves concerning the great things contained in it, with close application of mind, a fixedness of thought, till we be suitably affected with those things and experience the savor and power of them in our hearts. This we must do day and night, 
we must have a constant habitual regard to the word of God as the rule of our actions and the spring of our comforts. And we must have it in our thoughts accordingly upon every occasion that occurs, whether night or day. No time is amiss for meditating on the word of God, nor is it any time unseasonable for those visits. We must not only set ourselves to meditate on God's word morning and evening at the entrance of the day and of the night, but these thoughts should be interwoven with the business and converse of every day and with the repose and slumbers of every night. Day and night. That's a Hebrew tool. When you use two parts of a whole in order to communicate the whole. Day and night. All day long. Daily. You should be getting into the word of God in this way. Again, what are you going to do differently this year that you did not do last year when it comes to the word of God. You may say, well, I've tried the word of God last year, but it didn't work for me. What I'd say to you is that the problem is not the word. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We read that together this morning. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. By the word of God, the heavens were created. And you're telling me that you, of all the people in God's creation, are not able to be changed by the word of God. The problem is us. We don't delight in the word of God. We don't believe that there's value in the word of God. We don't believe that the word of God is able to save and to deliver and to strengthen. Again, will you do something differently this year? If you would, then trust God for his word. Trust in his word and show that by your pursuit of it. Daily pursuit of it. Encourage one another to do the same. All right, we're going to get to our next point in the outline. And the root of blessing is found in the word of God. We know that, but what is the fruit? The fruit is the promise of peace in verses 3 through 6. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In this final section, we see a picture of this fruit in verses three through four and the promise of fruit in verses five and six. Let's look at that picture in verses 3 through 4. There are two different illustrations here. Again, one positive and one negative. What does it look like to bear fruit as a result of delighting in the word of God? We see the positive illustration first. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. That's probably all he needed to say for people to get the point. In an agrarian society, finding a source of water meant life or death. One needed water for oneself, but also needed water to feed livestock and for crops. The imagery of a tree planted by streams of water would have automatically resonated with the Hebrew. Even we who don't live in an agrarian society can understand what that means and what that's all about, right? We understand that trees need water for their lives to be sustained. As we think about the analogy, what are the streams of water for us? Of course, the streams of water for us are the word of God in the life of the believer. 
It's the meditation on the word day and night daily that is our connection to those streams of water. When you indulge, delight in, see the value in, and thus pursue the word of God daily, you are like that tree constantly nourished by streams of water. Again, hear the description of the tree that results in that stream of living water washing over its root. He says that it yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It yields fruit in its season. Understand that this tree does not magically yield fruit all the time. It's not an apple tree that yields apples in the dead of winter. That's not the point. It is a tree that yields fruit in its season, meaning it yields fruit when it's supposed to. There are different seasons that the tree experiences. It goes through the normal course of life, and yet it will never fail to produce fruit when it is supposed to. Don't miss the analogy. This is not prosperity theology. This is reality. This is biblical theology and some very realistic and, as I said before, often almost embarrassingly honest psalms. We will have winter seasons in life. Those who trust in the Lord will have winter seasons in life. Seasons when the branches are bare and there is no fruit. Seasons that are cold and difficult. Seasons that just have to be worked through and there's no way around it. Yet the promise of God is that you will still be that tree planted by streams of water. And that when it is time, you will bear fruit. That's the promise. As you indulge yourself in his word, as you engage in the word of God daily during those wintry seasons, you will continue to abide by that stream of living water. And when it is time, you will bear fruit. Moreover, he says its leaf does not wither. What does that mean? That means that the life, the vitality of the tree doesn't ever diminish. Even when it's not bearing fruit, even during those winter seasons, its leaf doesn't wither. Remember, it's constantly being nourished by streams of water. Of course, one of the implications of this is that you can really tell when believers are failing to stay close to the Lord because that spiritual leaf starts to wither a bit. They start to drift away from the Lord, perhaps. They start to fall away from those spiritual disciplines. They start to fall away from the fellowship of other believers. They become very discouraged and downtrodden. But the promise here is as we stay close to God in his word. Remember that, um, that number six passage that we talked about. God lifting up the light of his countenance upon his people and bringing them peace. Us staying close to God in his word is the way that he lifts up his countenance upon us. It's the way that he provides us with peace. It's the way that he makes us like that tree whose leaf does not wither. If you find yourself withering this morning, it's because you're not close to God and his word. If you found yourself withering last year, it's because you haven't been close to God and his word. I guarantee that's it. And if you want to do something differently last this year that you didn't do last year, that will make a difference in your life because God says it'll make a difference. It's to stay close to him through his word. I don't know what those wintry seasons are for you, nor how they affect you. Again, sickness, joblessness, financial distress, loneliness, family troubles, winter comes. 
But again, the encouragement is to stay close to the Lord and his word. He doesn't promise to remove the seasons, but he does promise to abide with us through them. He promises that his abiding through our constant nourishment in his word is what will bring wholeness in the midst of that turmoil. Does anybody want that kind of wholeness, that kind of peace? Anybody want to be like that tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither in times of drought? And just in case we weren't convinced enough, he says, and whatever he does prospers. This tree with its green leaves throughout the changing of the seasons, with its promise to never fail to produce fruit in its season, this tree is the perfect picture of shalom. It is the perfect picture of wholeness. And the message is that in the midst of the turmoils of our lives, as we stay close to the Lord through his word, that the same wholeness, the same completeness can be experienced by us. The streams of water constantly flowing over the roots of our faith is the word of God constantly flowing in our hearts. Just in case we were tempted to look at the ungodly, we're reminded in another picture, this time of chaff. It says in verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. You know what chaff is, right? Those are threshing wheat on a threshing floor. They kind of scoop it up, throw it up in the air. And all the, the waste products, the stuff that is not necessary, just kind of blows away in the wind. He says that's what the wicked are like. Those who don't abide in God's word are like that chaff that just gets blown away by the wind. These are two very different pictures here. One of substance, of blessedness, one worthy of pursuing. The picture of a tree planted by streams of life-giving water. The other of chaff, which is worth nothing but to be discarded. Your response to God's word shows what category you fall in. You're either like the tree or you're like the chaff. You'll either find his peace or his judgment. That's the promise. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That therefore marks the conclusion of all that has been said. The lines are being drawn in the sand. Right? There are two ways to live here. I think again, Pastor Chris mentioned this before. If you are presenting the gospel to someone, if you're presenting the good news, there should be an imperative. It should press the person for an answer, for a response. There should be a time at which you come to the point in presenting the gospel in such a way that they have to make a response. Because that's the gospel. The gospel is, Jesus Christ died for your sins. You must believe in him. It's not, do you want to believe in him? Or, you could believe in him if you, if you, if you want to. If you think my message was good enough, or if you think I'm a nice enough friend. Because God commands that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they must make a choice. And here in this psalm, we see, us, we see the psalm writer driving us to a decision. Which one are you going to be like? Are you going to be like the tree or are you going to be like the chaff? Are you going to be like the wicked or are you going to be like the righteous? The wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
In this poetic line, clearly the wicked and sinners are parallel, but we also see the judgment and the congregation of the righteous in parallel in this poetic line. In other words, in the judgment, he mentions this time of judgment, it's not clearly defined here, but there is going to be a time of judgment, that's the point, and in that time of judgment there will be a congregation, a gathering of the righteous, and in that judgment the righteous will be standing apart from the wicked. There's going to be a distinction made between those who are righteous And those who are wicked. And of course the difference between the wicked and the righteous has to do with their response to his word. The wicked respond with scoffing. The righteous respond with delight. In other words, your decision today, your response to the word of God today will not only affect your ability to participate in the shalom of God today. But it will also directly impact your standing in the judgment to come. That is a promise from God. Again, verse 6. Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And again, we're kind of brought full circle to this idea of what it means to be blessed. As I mentioned earlier, the idea of blessing is directly connected with this idea of peace. As we saw in Numbers, as God lifts up his countenance toward his people, he brings them peace. He says here, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is a relational knowledge. This is that lifting up of the face in a favorable way sort of knowledge. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows them. He upholds them. He supports them. He is to them a stream of living water, and he accomplishes this through his word. That is a promise. Those who by faith look long at his word and pursue his word, those will be upheld and sustained as a tree planted by streams of water through drought and storm, through winter and summer, seed time and harvest. Their leaf will not wither, and they will bear fruit when it's time. That is shalom. Again, that is wholeness. That is completeness. That is the promise of God for the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. That way alluded to earlier in the first verse of this psalm. That way that makes them like chaff before God. That way that distinguishes them from the congregation of the righteous when the judgment comes. That way will perish. That's also a promise from God. So again, which way is it going to be for you? Do you desire a New Year's blessing? Will you continue in this year in the same way that you were in last year, or will you resolve to do something different in the Lord? You have here in this psalm a promise from the God of heaven. Believe his word, take delight in his word, and he will bless you with peace. That's a promise. Continue to scoff at his word and you'll perish in judgment. That's also a promise. Perhaps you have no idea as you think of your life how to live differently. Perhaps as I was going through this psalm, you realize you do not look upon the word of God as something of value, as something worth pursuing, as something able to change your heart. That means that you need a change of heart. And this morning, I would invite you to trust in the blessed one of Psalm 1. The blessed man of Psalm 1 is ultimately the son whom we just sang about a number of weeks ago, who was born as a babe in Bethlehem. Who lived before God as one who delighted in his word to the degree that he said at one point, my food and drink is to do the will of my father in heaven. Who said to Satan as Satan tempted him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Who lived so closely to God, who kept the word of God to the degree again that when his most ardent detractors 
came upon him to try to rattle him, to try to shake him. He said to them, which of you convicts me of sin? And no one said a word because they couldn't, because he kept God's word perfectly. And because he kept God's word perfectly, he became for us a perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the son of God, is the blessed one. He is the happy one of God who offered himself up as a lamb, as a peace offering to bring peace between us and God. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. His happiness in God alone is what gave him strength to endure the cross. And his blood shed on the cross is what has paid our life debt, the debt that we owe for our sin. And it is only by faith in him, by the happy one, the blessed one of God, that we can find happiness, that we can find blessing, that we can be made at peace with God. It is only by faith in the happy one in Jesus Christ. In this new year endeavor to experience the blessing of God by faith in the happy one, again, the blessed one, the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him by faith today. Perhaps you are pursuing the Lord. Perhaps for you this was just a reminder. For you, I would say, as Paul does to the church in Thessalonica, excel in the Lord this year. Perhaps you have been pursuing the Lord, but I would encourage you to excel. Perhaps there's something more that you can learn. You can go deeper in his word. Perhaps there is something else that you can do to serve more. To serve your brothers and sisters in Christ more. Perhaps the way you can serve your brothers and sisters in Christ more is to reach out to someone who you know is struggling, not wait for them. You go to them, reach out to them, walk with them through their struggle. Encourage them in the word of God. Show them what you do to stay grounded in the word of God. Again, we have that whole pattern in Titus, the older teaching the younger. That's not necessarily older in age. It could be. But it could be older in the Lord, those who are more grounded in the Lord, reaching out to those who are struggling and encouraging them along in the scriptures. You take it upon yourself to do that. Those of you who are further along in the Lord, that's why you are here in the body of Christ. That's why God has allowed you to abide and to remain long in the Lord. So that you could be an encouragement and a blessing to those who are coming after. Don't miss that. The church needs that. Let us pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you again that you do sanctify us by your truth. Thank you for this promise in Psalm 1. That as we come before your word, as we um, dwell on your word, as we abide in your word, as we meditate on your word daily, Thank you for the promise that you will make us like that tree planted by streams of water. That you will see see to it that in our season we will bear fruit for your glory. That you will sustain us and keep your life flowing through us. That we'll be like that tree whose leaf does not wither. God, we need that. We need you every hour. We need you this day. We need you in this new year. We need the blessing that comes by faith in you and through your word. We need the light of your countenance to be lifted up upon us through your word this new year. 
God, help us to respond in faith to your word. And I pray for those who don't know you in your word, that you would help them to respond in faith to your word, for your glory, and for our good. In Christ's name.